0: Good morning, let me say congratulations for surviving Daylight Savings Time. You're here, you're on time for the most part, you're probably going to sleep through the sermon, but that's okay, it takes a while, you know, to to kind of get our bodies back readjusted. I heard someone tell me that they thought they were doing Daylight Savings Time wrong. They lost an hour, but they gained five pounds. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe you can uh, uh, feel that same way too. The good news for me is the, the clock in my car is finally going to be right. So <laughs> that's good. But, um, glad you're with us today. Are you joining us online? Glad you're with us as well. Probably just woke up. But uh, glad that we're together uh, again this morning. We are jumping back into our study through the book of James. We have been looking at this practical little book that the brother of Jesus wrote. And we've already seen a lot of things in the very first chapter that he reminds us of and that he's teaching us that the importance of how to handle um, struggles and trials. And then he talks about how to handle temptations. And then he talks about our need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And then as we get into James chapter 2, you're going to find that James is actually going to stop preaching And he's going to start meddling a little bit. James is going to get a little bit personal this morning in in James chapter 2 because he's going to start talking about how we treat other people. How we deal with other people. And, And James is going to tell us, you know how there's people who they have a lot and they're treated a certain way. And then there's people that they don't have nearly as much and they're treated a different way. Well, we're going to turn that upside down. So I want to just read through a big chunk of James chapter 2, and then we'll we'll back up and we'll uh, pay a little more close attention to some of these things. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand here. Or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? But you've insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now before we jump into this text, I'm sure most of you, if you're old enough at least, you remember the musical first, I believe, but then they made it into a movie, Fiddler on the Roof, familiar with that movie? It's set back in the early 1900s and the story kind of revolves around a Jewish milkman named Kiev who's trying to marry off his five daughters. And in one part of this play, the movie, this milkman sings the song, If I Were a Rich Man. And I thought about singing that for you this morning. (laughs) But I decided against it. Instead, let me share with you one stanza of that song. He says this, If I Were a Rich Man... The most important men in town would come to fawn on me. They would ask me to advise them, like Solomon the Wise, posing problems that would cross a rabbi's eyes. And it won't make one bit of difference if I answer right or wrong. When you're rich, they think you really know. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Who amended that? I don't know. But isn't that sort of the way we think? Well, if someone's rich, they're probably pretty smart. And they're successful. And if someone has a lot, then they must, they must matter. People that don't have as much, they don't matter as much. James is going to take that uh, perception and layer it into God and faith. And life. James is going to challenge us to the core. James chapter 2 could have just as easily began, you Americans living in the 21st century, pay attention. In fact, it could have just as easily began, hey, you people living in central Florida, listen to what I'm about to say. Where we live, how we live. This passage challenges us. Before we start really pulling apart the text, let me give you a little bit of context into the world that James is writing into. Because there's a lot going on historically in the Roman Empire here in the first century. In, in the ancient world, there was a huge divide between the haves and the have-nots. I mean, we think there is now, and there is, but in the first century, there's this huge divide between those who have and those who don't have. Um, there were different levels, different layers of status. Different rungs on the social ladder. And you didn't climb the ladder. Whatever stratus you were born into, whatever rung you started on, that's where you stayed. That's where you lived your life. A life existed. It was structured around status. It was structured around people's worth. An early writer said this about, uh, about this subject said, the existence of inferiors is good for superiors, for it enables them to point out who they're superior over. In other words, if I'm at the top of the ladder, it's really good to have people underneath me because then I can look around and say, well, I'm better than that person. I matter more than this person. And in the ancient world, there was all kinds of things that kept reinforcing this reality. The very clothes that people wore separated them by class. You know, we always see pictures of people in in Roman togas. You know, that was against the law for some people to wear that. If you weren't a Roman citizen, it was against the law for you to wear some clothes. You could be arrested for that. I've got a gold ring on my finger this morning. My uh, wedding band is made of gold. Only certain people could wear gold rings in the first century. If you weren't an elite and you happened to find a ring along the road and put it on, you could be arrested because only certain people were allowed to wear them. In fact, there was a class known as the honor of the gold ring. I get to wear the ring. You don't. Seating at public events, private events for that matter, was very much determined on where you were socially. Now, in our day and time... When you go to a concert, when you go to a ball game, if you shell out enough money, you can sit pretty close to the front, right? I remember years ago, uh, my wife and I went to Portland, Oregon, to visit my brother, and somehow, through a friend of a friend, he gets Martha and I tickets to see the Portland Trailblazers play the L.A. Lakers. and It was back during showtime, you know, Kareem and Magic, and we were on the second row. I mean, folding chairs down front. And I'm looking around at the people I'm sitting by, and I'm thinking, I don't fit here. (laughs) (laughs) These are not my people. But it was kind of awesome, and nobody kicked us out. Nobody asked us to move. But in the first century, you sat according to your rank. And all you had to do was look at the people sitting around you, and you knew where your rank was. You know, in church, you can sit anywhere. You can actually sit in the very front rows. We don't even charge extra. There's always room, which doesn't make sense to me. But uh, in the first century, the legal system was arranged around status. In our day, at least in the abstract, we would like to think that justice is available to everyone. And we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. In America, our belief is that the law is not a respecter of persons. Not because of ethnicity, or socioeconomic status, or gender. Now, we don't quite live up to that, and we've got some work to do on that, but at least that's what we aspire to. We believe that justice is blind, right? In the first century, there was no illusion that there was a level playing field when it came to the justice system. There were different laws for different people. Not only were there different laws for different people, there was different punishment for different people. People committing the same crime would receive different punishment based on where they were in culture. We know that the Romans were the ones that kind of perfected crucifixion as a means of punishment. If you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. No matter what you did, no matter how heinous crime you committed it was against the law for a Roman citizen to be crucified... because that was reserved for slaves. And it wasn't just about meting out punishment... it was also to prove the worthlessness... of the person that was being punished. So one day into the great Roman Empire... there emerged this strange little community... and the person they admired, the person that they followed... was actually crucified on a Roman cross... And then the brother of the crucified guy wrote a book. And in the book, he says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And I think in that statement, James makes the most compelling reason, argument, on why the status quo has to be turned upside down. As believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. See, now James is talking to me. Now James is talking to you. Because we're believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, right? If you believe today that there is a God in heaven, if you believe that today there is one sitting on the throne that the Bible says dwells in unapproachable light, if you believe that the one who created the universe, spoke it into existence who is all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful. If you believe one sitting on the throne who is glorious, then James says, don't show favoritism. If you're a believer in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you should get this better than anybody. You should be the ones who understand this more than anyone. There is God and there's people. There's not levels of people. There's just God and there's people. It's us and it's God. Don't show favoritism. Now, we don't live in the ancient world. But we know that this thing still happens today. We know that there's a lot of people who, you know, there's not a level playing field. There are some people that, everywhere they go, just about every situation they're in, they're treated differently. They're honored, they're respected, they're listened to. And then there are other people who just about everywhere they go, they're marginalized. They're pushed aside, they're put down. We get it, that happens in the world. James says, that can't happen in the kingdom. That can't happen in the church. Why? Because we're believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to use your imagination a little bit this morning. I want you to imagine that next week you show back up, back up here, you sit down in your seat, you're getting ready for worship, you're a little bit late, you missed the, the announcements, but everybody does, so you're not worried about that. But you're sitting down and um, kind of, you know, settling in, and someone comes and sits down beside you, and you glance over, and it's Tom Brady. That'd be weird, right? Wow, Tom Brady's sitting beside me, and you're like, what do I do? You know, I want to play it cool, but how can I get Tom Brady to sign my Bible? Are you know? <laughs> or you're pulling out your phone, doing like the secret selfie thing? You know. You've already got your hashtags lined up because this is going on Instagram. You know, Tom Brady's sitting beside me in church. You know What do I do? It'd be weird. And then while you're thinking about how to handle that, somebody else walks in and sits down beside you. And you look over and it's, it's Oprah Winfrey. Like, what is going on? i got Tom Brady sitting beside me. i got Oprah Winfrey on the other side. I mean, I don't know anything about these people. I just know they're treated differently. You know, that would be really weird, right? Let me add another layer to my scenario. You're sitting there with Tom and Oprah beside you. And then for some reason, somehow, here on this stage, God decides to give us a glimpse of Himself. God shows up here. I mean, the building shakes. The room is filled with smoke. There is a throne here. And the train of His row fills up the entire room. And we get a glimpse of the glory of God right here. Now, if I were to ask you, before that happened, would you have been distracted by Tom and Oprah beside you? You say, no, no I'd be paying attention to the sermon. No, you wouldn't. Who well, wants Tom and Oprah? But once God shows up, would you be distracted by whoever's sitting beside you? Absolutely not. It doesn't matter who's sitting beside me then because there's God. I'm in the presence of God. And I don't care about anything else because all I see, all I can think about, all I am obsessed with is me and God. It's me and God. It's our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And see, that's what we forget. We take our eyes off of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and somehow we think it's okay to become respecters of people. We see people and we try to figure out where we're going to put them. Where do they fit? Are they below me? Are they above me? And then I treat them according to how I feel like they, you know, their relationship to where I am. We forget this. Believers of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, none of that matters. It's about our great God. There's God and there's people. And our job is to take all the love, all the grace, all the mercy, all the acceptance that our glorious Lord Jesus Christ has showered on us and share that message of love and acceptance with everybody. I mean, as believers, we ought to get that, right? We ought to understand that. So James says, don't show favoritism. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you can't show favoritism. Now, James could have stopped right there. But he doesn't. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. Hey, he's got on the gold ring. He's somebody special. She has on expensive clothes. He counts. She matters. We want to meet them. We want to honor them. You went to this school. You have this job. We want to make sure they get our best. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. This is a ragged guy. He never went to school. He doesn't have the right job. He's not wearing the ring. She's not wearing expensive clothes. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now again, remember these people that James is speaking to, he's writing to, they've been trained to think this way. That's the world they live in. That's the culture that they're used to. James is saying, it's not okay. What the world says is okay, it's not okay. My brother Jesus wants you to know, it's not okay. And again, you've got to understand how radically disorienting this was to the world. Still is, by the way. Because you remember, Jesus was a poor guy, right? Jesus didn't wear the ring. Jesus didn't have the right clothes. So James goes on in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of this world? Again, who's that? Well, it's Jesus, Mary, Joseph, Peter, John. Has not chosen those who are, rich, who are poor in the eyes of this world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him. But you've insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of Him to whom you belong? Well, of course it is. Because that's the world we live in. That's how things work. Again, this isn't James saying, let me give you some tips on how to live a better life. This is James inviting us into a new spiritual reality. I think it's James inviting us into a spiritual revolution. This is Jesus turning everything upside down. James says, listen, this is bigger than culture. This is bigger than tradition. This is bigger than politics. This is bigger than all of those things which is part of the reason why James is a book that is not real popular with affluent people. Rich people don't really like to read James, which is the reason why rich people should read James, which is the reason why we ought to study James, because regardless of whatever standard you choose to use, when you think about the world that we live in, we're the rich people. We are the ones. This is for me. And this is for you. And our culture teaches us to judge people on what they have, what they drive, how they look, what their job is, what their level of education is, and to overlook or to completely ignore other human beings who are priceless treasures to God. Can you imagine what it would be like if for one day we were able to see People the way God sees people? Wouldn't that be something? What if just for 24 hours we could see other people the same way God saw them? And we could value people. And we could value beauty the way God values people and beauty. Because I guarantee it would not line up with the standard that the world uses. It's ironic to me that so many people in our world equate Christianity, equate believers with judgment. You Christians, you're so judgmental. And I know we've given them reason to feel that way. But shouldn't we be distinguished by mercy? I mean, shouldn't that be what people say about us? You Christians, you're so merciful. They don't say that. But that's what they should say. Because a faith that works isn't distinguished by judgment, it's distinguished by mercy. Because God's been so merciful to us. Mercy that's rooted in our hearts, that comes off our lips, plays out of our hearts, lives. That's why James goes on to say in verse 12, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. You want mercy? You better be merciful. Then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. A faith that works is distinguished by loving people who can't do anything for us. Faith that works really looks a whole lot like the way God treats us. Sociologist by the name of Renee Brown wrote this about our need for showing mercy to others. She said, we are those people. The truth is, we are the others. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair away from being those people the ones we don't trust, the ones we pity, the ones we won't let our kids play with, the ones who bad things seem to happen to, the ones we don't want living next door to us. We are those people. Aside from the grace of God, we are those people. We're not better than anyone else. Sometimes we, we delude ourselves, we kid ourselves into thinking that we're somebody that we're not, that we're something that we're not. I'm sure most of you have seen the meme that's kind of been making the rounds just lately. It might be years for all I know, but I've just seen it lately on social media. Kermit looking out the window when your pastor preaches about being friends to the people that nobody wants to be friends with and suddenly the whole congregation wants to shake your hand after service. Yeah, that's us, right? We all struggle with this. That's why James says mercy triumphs over judgment. A faith that works is distinguished by mercy. We've got to be the most merciful people on the face of the earth. Why? Because we've received the most mercy. Very shortly after the tragedy of 9-11... Uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliano uh, spoke these words at the Brooklyn Tabernacle shortly after the buildings fell. Here's what he said, part of what he said at least. Let me read it to you. You know, people, I've learned something in all of this. Let me see if I can express it to you. When everyone was fleeing those buildings and the police and the firefighters and the EMS were headed up into those buildings, do you think any of them said... I wonder how many black people up there need saved. I wonder what the percentage of white people are that are in this building. How many Jewish people are on those upper floors? Let me see. Are these people making $400,000 a year? Or are they making $24,000 a year? Now, when you're saving lives, they're all precious. Now, how would you have wanted to have been treated if you'd have been on the 75th floor of one of those buildings that day? Would you want those EMS people to tell you, yeah, we're getting the bosses first? Yeah, you don't make quite enough money. You don't have quite enough education. You're not beautiful enough. We're just taking the beautiful people first. No. We would want them to see us as a soul that needs saved. So James is saying, that's how I want you to live your entire life. I want you to see other people, souls, that need Jesus. I told you he's going to stop preaching and start meddling because these things don't come easy to us. And they don't come naturally to us. But Jesus came to turn upside down those things that don't come easy and don't come naturally. He wants us to see every single person as a precious soul that needs him. Our glorious Lord Jesus, because a faith that works is distinguished by mercy. A faith that works doesn't show favoritism to anybody. That's who I want to be a part of. And that's why I want Jesus to help me become. I hope you do too. I hope we're working on that. Let's go ahead and stand. Uh, I'm going to sing a song.